You guys are doing uh, a great job on the assignments. I'm very impressed. You're, um, I mean, because you, you actually have to do both in this class, of being a statistician and sort of do all the math, but then because it's a sociology, you have to be the social scientist and sort of do the hypothesis construction and sort of walk through what a research, what a research project would look like. And so that's why we have part one and part two. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, impressed with how you guys are doing that. How do, okay, okay. Um, so you knew the, like you knew, um, so it asked was interpret each p-value in terms of probability of the results happening by chance. Um, uh, so like if the, if the, um, if a p-value is uh, 0 0.01, uh-huh, sure, sure. So um, can anyone sort of, can anyone think of or remember what the, the p-value is the proportion of what? Uh, well, it's, it's the proportion of, anyone want to give it a, so you have your, um, your null hypothesis, which is sort of the data you would get if, um, if uh, there was no difference or was no effect. And so then you get a, you get a distribution of, of sample statistics, and the p-value is the proportion of these sample statistics that are as extreme as what? Yes, so like the observed sample statistic. And so if... Um, if we have a p-value of 0 0.01, what what proportion of the um, this this uh, distribution that we have here of sample statistics, what proportion of these are as extreme as our observed sample statistics? 0 0.01 is what's another way to um, if you're going to make a fraction out of 0 0.01, one over a hundred, so it's one one hundred like one 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 out of a hundred of these. So, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's sort of beginning to understand conceptually the p-value isn't just some arbitrary number that, and if it's above 0 0.05 or below 0 0.05, you get the answer. It's more, it's just, it's, it's the proportion of, sam of the randomization sample statistics that are as extreme as our observed sample statistic. So remember how we had that, that distribution of a thousand dots and it's sort of like uh, a bell-shaped, and then you have your observed sample statistic right there, and then I said, if you want to find the p-value, you can just count all the dots that are sort of beyond your observed sample statistic, and that will give you the proportion <coughs> of values that are, are as extreme as that. So, were there um, other questions on, on the assignment? Um, so one thing I want to point out, I think from, this is probably from an earlier assignment, that, uh, that the correlation between two variables is a sample statistic. So a lot of times we've just been doing, like we started off with uh, the sample statistics of if you have a categorical variable, the sample statistic is the proportion. And if you have a, um, uh, a quantitative variable, the sample statistic is a mean but there's other sample statistics. So sample statistics is just a general um, term for ways of measuring the data. Can anyone think of other uh, sample statistics that we've used? So sample statistics is just basically taking the data and getting a specific type of value that you're going to then do a hypothesis. What, uh, what sample is sample? Statistics yeah. Is like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, yes, yeah. So, so then that's good, and, and I think for me, at least, the word statistic is like so general. It's like, what's a like? 
that's the name of this class, but what is statistic? Like, and what it is is just basically a value. Um, so you have, and it's to compare it to, you have a, a sample statistic, so it's a value generated from your sample, and then you have something called a population parameter, and that's a value generated from your population. So I know it's not um, wonderfully intuitive, um, but at least what I've tried to do throughout this course is stay consistent, and so I'm very intentional of saying sample statistics, so you know I'm interested in values within the sample and um, in a particular um, value, like the mean or the proportion or the correlation. Can anyone think of any other um, sample statistics that we've used when we do hypothesis testing? You used one, uh, so you know when the question says, what is your observed sample statistic? For gender and divorce, what, what did you guys use for your observed, you don't have to say like more. The, uh, it could be. Uh -huh. Proportion what? So you used um, proportion of, you said females? Females. Who get divorced? Um, are more likely than uh, males. Okay. Uh, then males are what specifically? The, uh, the, the, uh, the proportion of males? So. So then another way of writing this, so right here is another type of sample statistic. So, so a sample statistic isn't just um, mean or proportion. That, those are kind of like the, the foundation of sample statistics, but another sample statistic would be the proportion of females who get divorced minus the proportion of males who get divorced. And so from your, from your sample, you can calculate this and you'll have a value, and I think it was, you get a value. And so that's, that's what we would call an observed sample statistic. And so just like correlation is a sample statistic, um, this is one. Uh, other ones would be uh, the difference in means, like if you had the, the mean number of males minus the mean number of females. So it's just, I bring this up because it'll it'll continue to come up in this course, and, and the term will always be, what's your sample statistic? What's the observed sample statistic that you're interested in sort of measuring? And so like with the gender and sex one, we were interested in knowing, um, or at least Chelsea, with the way she set it up was, is the proportion of females who get divorced um, greater than the proportion of males who get divorced? And so that's the statistic that she's wanting to measure. If you have, if there's confusion about that, we can, we're gonna be talking about it more, but that's sort of, when I talk about samples, so to show how correlation is a sample statistic, it says, um, if we're testing to see if there's a correlation between height and salary, um, would that be a left tail, a right tail, or a two tail test? So if, if, if we're gonna set up the hypothesis test for this, um, what would the null hypothesis be? Uh, say it one more time. Well, how would how, how would height? I mean, uh, uh, close. Uh, well, so f but first, the, the null hypothesis is always what, it's a claim that there is what? Chelsea. Or difference. Or difference. Okay. So so the null hypothesis is always that there's no effect, there's no difference, there's no relationship, there's you know. There's nothing going on there. So 
What would be the null hypothesis for this, Chelsea? Okay. And what is the specific effect or difference or relationship that? Correlation. Yes. So, I mean, to put it like simply, the null hypothesis is there is no correlation between height and salary. So, um, so the way you'd write the, the sample statistic for that, does someone want to take a, a stab at how you, how you would write uh, with the, the equation part of that? What, what Chelsea just said, that there is, there is no correlation between um, height and salary. What type of variables are height and salary? Quantitative. So then what's the, um, oh yeah, um, uh, mu. mu. So, uh, let's see, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit. We're at, so it is, you're right, it is mean, um, but what we're, let's see. So because we're talking about the, the sample statistic of correlation, do you guys remember what the population parameter for correlation is? It's what? The, the, symbol, the symbol for uh, correlation. Do you guys know what that is? Little r. Little r. Okay, that's for the sample, so that's good. And then what is it for uh, the population? Uh, it's, it's called rho, so, which is Greek for big R. <laughs> so, um, so, so this is the, uh, the population. We're, we're looking at correlation, and we want to say the correlation between height, oh, okay, the correlation between height and salary. If Chelsea said there is no correlation between height and salary, this is our, um, our null hypothesis. Chelsea says the correlation between, there is no correlation between height and salary. What would this value be right here if there is no correlation between height and salary? So, so this is how you sort of begin to construct sort of the, like, um, we started off with just the word form. There is no correlation between height and salary. And then you have to sort of think, okay, how do I construct the equation? And the best thing is to sort of think, okay, what are we measuring? We're measuring correlation. So I need to find some the population parameter for correlation, and then I need to think, okay, if there is no correlation, what would the value be? And it'd be zero. And then can someone take a stab at what the alternative hypothesis? Okay. So um, make that uh, more general, like because what happens if the shorter you are? Increases, salary increases. Good. Uh, no, you're, you're doing good, but I'm saying, what happens if I'm a smaller person? Then you don't make money. <laughs> That's good. So, so how can we put that in, like, um, what, you were saying it, Chris, I think. There's a direct correlation between height and salary. Okay. And so direct, does that mean positive or negative? Or? Neither. Okay. So you're saying that, you're just saying that, um, that there's, there's a correlation between height and salary. And we don't actually know. We don't know, actually, it might be shorter people. Uh, you know, it might be a negative correlation or a positive correlation. So what the, the null hypothesis would be, I mean, the alternative, um, so we say we're looking at the correlation between height and salary. What would be the equation? I'll let Chris try. I'm going to think it would be the two-tailed. Okay. Slash. Slash. And what does that mean? The equal with the slash. You know, Rachel? Does not equal. So here's the alternative hypothesis that um, we're claiming that there's a correlation between height and salary. That's all we're claiming. We're not even claiming a direction. Um, 
we're saying that the correlation does not equal zero. It's something other than zero. There's some correlation out there. And so if this is a, and so the way we determine whether it's a left tail, right tail, or two tail test is based on the alternative hypothesis. So if this is our alternative hypothesis, what, what tail would it be? What type of test would it be? Rachel? Okay, and why is that? Uh huh. So you kind of look. You got to look at extreme values on the positive side and on the negative side. Um, so what if I want to? What if I? What if I was actually testing? There's a. Uh, I'm. My alternative hypothesis is that there's a negative correlation between height and salary. What would? What would my um, equation? So I'm saying there's there's a negative. My claim is that there's a negative correlation. Okay. So basically, if, if you, um, yeah, we're saying if you measure the correlation between height and salary, you would find it to be something less than zero. You don't know if it'd be negative 0 0.01 or negative one. You're just, you just make the claim that it's less than zero. And so then what, what tail test would that be? Left. Okay, and why? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of how we, go about constructing this. Now, the last step in this process would be, what is our observed sample statistic for this um, hypothesis test, like in, in equation form? So what type of statistic are we measuring in correlation? Okay, and so what's the symbol? So now we're thinking about observed sample statistic. What's the symbol for, for R? Okay, so it would be R, and uh, it's R of what? The correlation of, um, so basically, you would um, look at your data, and we've, we've talked about how you measure correlation. In fact, in the GSS, I think I had you measure correlation for, you know, a different set, different sets of variables. And so, you know, you would basically, in GSS, pull up um, the variable height and the variable income, and and look at the correlation of that, and that would be your observed sample statistic. So this, I mean, this, I'm, I guess I'm belaboring this is because this will set up everything that we do sort of from here forward, but you kind of need to know the different components, like what's the sample statistic, how do you set up the null hypothesis, and then set up the alternative hypothesis, and then sort of know what your observed sample statistic is as you're walking through. Um, let's see what else I wrote. Uh, okay, here, here's a, another thing. Um, so a hypothesis is a claim, and it's a very uh, specific claim. And um, so like one, one person had uh, made a claim with like divorce and gender and said, um, uh, Let's see that that females are able to cope and adjust to divorce uh, better than males, based on the variables gender and divorce, and um, so that's a claim, which is which is a good claim, but our data can't answer that question. You know, so so the hypothesis has to sort of be reined in to only what your data can answer, and so. With the um, with the gender and divorce, what would be um, a, a claim that we could make? 
or what's the claim that you did make in your hypothesis? Can a person have more than one divorce? Well, it didn't ask that. It was just a yes or no. Oh, have you been divorced? But but still. But I found it ended up being. Oh, okay, okay. But then Tim has another response. Uh, but 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 the proportions would still be the same. Yeah, the proportions I think is the same. Well, no, but but I'm saying um, in in all of these it doesn't just like in the the mean example when we were talking about um, what was it uh, exercise and gender, there was more women in our sample, and so you would think, oh, well, the women are going to win because they're getting more data points. But when you take the mean of the mean number of exercise hours for men and the mean number of exercise hours for women, when you divide by the total number of women, total number of men, it sort of, it, it eliminates sort of the difference of, hey, you have more in the sample of one group than another. Um, but so, Kind of with this hypothesis, um, and this will be important that it kind of that you just that you state it as as clearly as possible, and it'll actually help you then in creating the equation. Is just sort of know what it is that you're measuring, um, and and also like um, a hypothesis isn't uh, evidence. Like I know some some people have been saying um, there's evidence that, or we have evidence that. It's it's more so. You start with a hypothesis, which is just purely a claim. It's that um, there is no correlation between height and salary. Um, you wouldn't say there's evidence that there's no correlation between height and salary. You just say, you just, you just make your claim. Um, and then in the hypothesis test, you gather evidence to see if your claim is, is a valid claim or not. Um, so just, you know, and, and probably the best thing is to look at the examples in the book or in like the, the homework solutions just to sort of see, get familiar with how hypotheses are stated. Um, but probably the best way to think about it is just what's the claim that you're making. If you want to say um, Duke women's field hockey is better than Carolina women's field hockey, that's what you say. You wouldn't say... Um, you just, you know, and, or you would say, yeah, you'd say Duke wins on the road more than Carolina wins on the road. You know, and then you could, act, there's, those are things you could measure um, in that way. Uh, race and divorce. Okay. So are, are white people, so the research question is, are white people more likely than non-white people to get divorced? I'm trying to think why I said that. Uh, does the likelihood of getting divorced differ by race? I'm not sure why I put these up here. These could just be research questions that then you could form. Oh, okay. So, yeah, let's just do this as an example. What would be the null hypothesis for this research question? Brittany? Yes, divorces. Yep, yep. So, um, so yeah. I mean, just there'll be more and more examples of this. Um, so that sort of covered sort of some of the stuff that came up with the assignments. Uh, this is the the final um, session for hypothesis testing, 
we'll be covering statistical significance, um, errors, and then significance and sample size. Uh, let's see. So we went over this yesterday. This is like so strength of evidence against against the null hypothesis, and that's sort of what the p-value gives us. It gives us the strength of our evidence against <coughs> the null hypothesis. Um, can someone give a definition of p-value? Brittany. It's a portion of random sample statistics that are of extreme Okay, and so then as sort of as the proportion of, of randomization sample statistics uh, that are as extreme as our observed sample statistics goes down, what does that tell us? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of what we're measuring. It's sort of like when you do your sampling, you know, you grab your sample of information and you get an observed sample statistic. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, this difference or this effect that we're seeing, could that have just happened by random chance? And so the p-value sort of lets you know what's the likelihood that that outcome would have just happened by random chance if, if there actually was no difference. So um, the, the formal decision uh, of a hypothesis test is either we reject the null hypothesis or we do not reject the null hypothesis. And so um, in the way we kind of set that up is, is you, you set up an alpha level, which is in this case 0 0.05, that's sort of the threshold. And actually, you do this before you even run your experiment. You just sort of say, my significance level is going to be 0 0.05, and then you run your whole study, and then you at the end you get your p-value, and then you you assess your p-value in relationship to whatever your alpha is. So you don't sort of run your whole experiment and get a p-value of 0 0.08, and you say I don't know, I think a significance level of 0.1 is good, and this one makes it, so we're gonna, we're gonna reject the null hypothesis. Like, that would sort of be sort of cheating. Like, if you're, you know, practicing taking shots in basketball, and you're like, you know, you do it, and you make six out of 10, and you're like, I think making six out of 10 is good. You know, you'd wanna say ahead of time, my goal is to make 70% of my shots, and then you go out and you practice, and you tally it up, and you realize you only made 60%, you're like, I fell short. So it's sort of a more objective way to run, it is the more objective way to run the hypothesis test. You sort of set your bar ahead of time, and then see if, you're, if, you're, if your results meet that. And so then if it's, if it's greater than your threshold, um, then you don't have sufficient evidence to reject the null hypothesis. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through some examples of where this is. So there's uh, this study about red wine and weight loss, that um, red wine, uh, consumption of red wine is associated with weight loss. And uh, so they're trying to tease out what's, you know, the mechanics of what's going on. So RV is an active ingredient in red wine and grapes and has been shown to promote weight loss in primates. And so uh, a sample of primates had various measurements taken uh, before and after receiving RV supplements for four weeks. So they wanted to sort of see what is it about red wine 
that's associated with weight loss. So in the test, uh, to see if the mean metabolism rate is higher after treatment, um, the p-value is 0 0.013. So they're, they're measuring mean metabolism rate um, before and after. So um, what would be the, the, the sample statistic for this, for this hypothesis test? Mean metabolism. Um, before or after or so they uh, actually in this case they don't they, wow. just, they um, just yeah yeah so let's yeah, so say we have sort of time one they check it and then at time two okay. they check it so then what would be our our sample statistic uh huh so it'd be um, the metabolism rate at time one minus metabolism rate at the mean metabolism rate at time two. So so even like a lot of times we think, oh let's look at the, the difference in means of men and women. You can also look at the difference in means between time one and time two. So again, and this is just a, another example of a sample statistic. Um, but it's important to sort of be able to look at a research question or um, uh, hypothesis test and be like, okay, what is the sample statistic that they're measuring? So um, the observed sample statistic is, for this case, is, oh wait, we don't know, but we know the p-value of the observed sample statistic is 0 0.013. And so then the question would be, if they were using an alpha uh, significance level of 0 0.05, is this difference statistically significant? We have yeses. Okay, good. So the p-value is lower than 0 0.05, so the results are statistically significant, and we reject the null hypothesis. And this is sort of, in a sense, the formal way to make a formal decision. Um, you sort of reference the significance level and, and show where the p-value um, fits in relationship to the significance level and then make a formal decision. Um, so in, in the test to see if the mean body mass is lower after, after treatment, uh, the p-value is also 0 0.013. Um, using alpha um, significance level of 0 0.01, is this difference statistically significant? Okay. And, uh, is it not less than the alpha or is it slightly higher oh, than that. Yeah. yeah, which is confusing. I mean, <laughs> part of the reason why I like put this is sometimes you just look at the numbers yeah. and you're like, oh, it's it goes out <laughs> farther, so it must be. But it's actually slightly higher. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> the significance level is sort of like a hard cut point. It's just sort of, it, there isn't like, well, it's close. You know, let's give them a chance. It's more like this is the cutoff. And if you don't make the cutoff, um, it's not significant. So, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're at the cutoff point, it's not statistically significant. So you need to be um, you need to be less than the significance level. Yep. So um, the answer would be no. The p-value is not lower than point. Zero 0.01, so the results are not statistically significant, so we do not reject the null hypothesis. Um, 
So again, with, with formal decisions, um, let's say, um, suppose many researchers around the world are all investigating the same research question. And if the null hypothesis is true using the alpha level of 0.05, what proportion of hypothesis, hypothesis tests will, will incorrectly reject the null? So what it's saying is, say you're doing these tests and you think um, that this RV stuff uh, has an effect, uh, but in reality, it doesn't. Uh, what proportion of these hypothesis tests will incorrectly reject the null? So we reject the null if um, the p-value is less than 0 0.05. Um, what proportion will we uh, incorrectly reject? Okay, and why is that? Okay, yeah. Well, so... so there's no way it was as big as 95. It depends on the very good answer. Oh, yeah, so I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't give, uh, I cheated, I, or I mean, I, I, I let you guys down, I didn't give you, yeah, that's true, that's a horribly written question. Um, uh, um, so here's our randomization sampling distribution, and this is the distribution of values that we, that, that we would, of sample statistics that we would get if the null hypothesis was true. And so... These are, these are all the values that could possibly come up. And, and the chances of, of a value coming up over here is, is what? Yeah, like very, 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 it's small, but it's possible. So like if this is our sort of, so we say if, um, if our observed sample statistic sort of sits somewhere on here on the distribution, we're gonna reject the null hypothesis but what this is saying is that there are some scenarios, very rare, where you would get a sample statistic that's out in this tail um, if the null hypothesis was true. Like most of your statistics are going to be within this range, but on a very rare occasion, it'll be out here. And so you'll, you'll get a, um, your observed sample statistic will be sort of out here, and so you'll say, okay, that's less than 0 0.05, a p-value of less than 0 0.05, so we're going to reject the null. But you have to sort of remember that there is a 5% chance that that statistic you got could have been observed by random chance. So that's sort of what the rejecting the null is sort of a, a judgment call, like you're saying, we're 95% confident that that you know the the sample statistic would be in this range if there was no effect by the null, um, but there is a small chance that still there could be uh, the null hypothesis. Okay. I, I understand like the 95 and 5%. Yeah. Why? Why you make the mistake 5% of the time? Yeah. Okay. I don't understand like falsely negating the null. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, and it's it's not it's not a, a helpful wording. Um, so, so uh, the null hypothesis is basically the claim that there's no effect, no difference, and so and that's what this randomization sampling distribution. So in that ninety-five percent, there's no difference. Uh, actually, in in the whole distri this whole distribution yeah. is sort of the the outcomes you would get. Right. And, and so a bulk of them are going to be right here. There's going to be, you know, just by random chance, you're going to get a few that are kind of extreme values. 
but they're very few. Um, and so, but you know, if, if you kind of said we need a p-value of 0. 0.00000001, like way way out here, um, you would never reject the null, like because uh, the chance of your observed sample statistic to be that extreme okay. would I be pretty rare. Yes. So, and it, I mean, I can appreciate that this is conceptually oh, I think I yes. Range. Yeah, so yeah. That you might be making a false. Yes. Uh, you might be rejecting the null falsely, but it's only a five percent chance. Did you have a question, Rachel? Or? So five percent of the tests would get a p-value less than 0 0.05 just by random chance, um, if the null hypothesis is true. So, so yeah. So um, let's see. I think. Well, I'll, I don't know if I covered it before or not, but so if you want sort of a a more strict test and you want to reduce the chance of making an error, um, what would you do with the significance level? Smaller, yeah. So if you do drop it to 0 0.01, you're basically saying, I'm only going to allow myself 1% chance of making an error. Um, so so um, there's, there's four types of errors that you can make um, in your hypothesis test, in your, in your formal decision. So, so up along top here is the decision of either reject the null hypothesis or do not reject the null hypothesis. And then this is sort of what is reality, like what is actually true. Um, is reality that the null hypothesis is actually true or is reality that the null hypothesis is actually false? Um, and, and we never know this. We just have to make a decision based on our analysis. And so we make our best estimate to either reject the null because we, we think it's false or do not reject the null because we don't have enough evidence to say that it's false. Um, so let's see. I got these all mixed around. But um, so uh, if in our formal decision we reject the null hypothesis because the p-value is less than our significance level. Um, but in reality, the null hypothesis is actually true. Um, we've made what's called a type 1 error. And if our significance level is um, 0.1, what's our chances of making a type 1 error? OK, so let's say we have a significance level of 0.1. So that's alpha equals 0.1. What's the chance of rejecting the null hypothesis, making a decision to reject the null hypothesis when it's actually true? Brittany? 10%. I said 0.1. Oh, 10%. Okay. So, 10, yeah, yeah. So, I'm switching it up just because you guys are taking advantage of me for giving easy answers. Um, so, it's 10%. And so, it's basically saying so a significance level of 0.1 basically saying here's 90% of the values fit right in here and we're going to, and this changes 5%, and we're going to accept, uh, or if our observed sample statistic is in these tails, we're going to reject the null, but there's uh, a 5% chance and a 5% chance that the, that the sample statistic could be out there even if the null is true. So that makes it a 10% chance 
that we would falsely reject the null hypothesis. Yes. Yes. Yep. Hey, that's a good way to say it. <laughs> so, and but the yeah, and the formal way is, you know, so I think I don't know why exactly it's the formal way, but we don't argue with the formal way. Uh, and then the the other way it would be, um, okay, so. And this is um, a, a decision to not reject the null hypothesis when the null hypothesis is actually false. So it go, you know, you can make the error the other way. Um, that's what's called a type two error. So, and this, I mean, for me, just to let you know, for me, this is like this is like one of those word puzzles that you have to like move around in your head to sort of know what's what's going on. But actually, by doing this and sort of understanding it, you'll better understand sort of how this works and how you make formal decisions. So uh, type 1 error is rejecting a true null hypothesis, whereas a type 2 error is failing to reject a false null hypothesis. So uh, an example of a type 2 error, um, failing to reject a false null hypothesis. So your sample, your observed, uh, your, can someone say where, so let's say, let's just say, let's keep the 90% interval. Where would our observed sample statistic be if, um, if the null hypothesis is actually false, but we fail to reject it? So, great. That's perfect. So what that's saying is, so reality is that the null hypothesis is false. There's actually a real difference, a real effect going on. And our observed sample statistic falls right here, and it, it falls sort of um, within sort of the 90% the interval. And so we can't reject the null hypothesis based on our significance level. But there actually is a significant difference, but the way we've set up our test is such that our observed sample statistic falls in a place where we say, nope, we're not going to reject the null hypothesis. And so that can happen. Um, and so it's just a matter of being aware of that. And that's, I mean, part of that is why you would do multiple tests or multiple studies. You wouldn't just sort of say, okay, here's our one, and this is, this is proof. You sort of always frame it in, we have evidence for this or evidence for that. Um, so going back to the red wine and weight loss, uh, in the test, uh, alpha equals 0 0.05 to see if RV is associated with metabolism rate. The p-value was 0 0.013, and so we rejected the null hypothesis, which claimed that there was no association between RV and metabolism rate. Um, if RV actually is not associated with metabolism, a type 1 error would have been made, and we rejected a true null hypothesis. So, in a sense, we rejected the null hypothesis, which claimed that there was no association. Um, but if there actually was no association, um, we, we would have falsely rejected the null hypothesis. And then to do the flip example, in the test, alpha equals 0.01 to see if RV is associated with body mass. The p-value is 0.013. And we did not reject the null hypothesis, um, which claimed that there was not uh, an association between RV and body mass. Um, 
if RV actually is associated with body mass, a type 2 error would have been made and we would have failed to reject a false hypothesis. So basically, what this does is take um, what that table showed and just sort of put it in word form. And again, this is this is tough because there's a lot of double negatives and, and stuff like that going on, but it's probably good to just sort of walk yourself through the logic of these. Yes, Brittany? If you Exactly. So, do they ever do that? Like, yeah, no, like, so that's... So, like, if you go through and you run it with one and there's not, yeah. would, do they ever rerun it with less than... Yeah, and, and even, like, some people will that's say... So, like, you just pick one, like, that's... Well, in, 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 in many ways, the sort of, the, the standard is 0 .05, and that's fairly consistent. And then people recognize that if 100 people did this study, 5% of them is going to are going to get sort of a, a type a type 1 error. Um, and so, but you would also have 95 that, you know, have the strong evidence. Um, and so, but that's why it's important, like, if, if someone's doing a study and they, they pick, like, uh, a point 0.1 significance level, you're kind of like, well, you gave yourself a, a lot of room for error. Um, so, but you're right. So, like, so 0.05 is kind of like the Yeah, accepted. yeah. For social scientists, yeah, but maybe in medicine, medicine it'd be different. Um, and so, uh, but you're right. If if someone picked a significance level of, of 0.1, they would make an error. But if someone picked a significance level of 0.05, it yeah. wouldn't make the error. So. So here here's um to maybe pull it out even more, here's an analogy to law of how this, how this works. Is, um, so in our, our legal system, a person is innocent until proven guilty. So um, innocent, let's see if I have these. Um, okay, so then and then the way the, the court system works is that evidence must be beyond a shadow of a doubt um, to prove them guilty. So the types of mistakes that you can make in a verdict is uh, convicting an innocent person, so that's equivalent to rejecting a null hypothesis that's actually true or whatever, or releasing a guilty person. So think of a crime case or whatever, um, and, and actually like the, the, null, the null hypothesis is just not known. And so in a lot of court cases, you know, I, I'm thinking of like Trayvon Martin in the murder. It's like, I don't know how they're going to decide that case because no one will ever really know it's true. So there's going to be evidence on both sides. And so there's, there's, a, there's a good chance of convicting an innocent person, you know, that, that in reality, um, what's his name? The one who's arrested for murder? Zimmerman. So there's a there's a chance that Zimmerman is is innocent, but then the verdict is that they decide to convict him. So, and the other type of mistake is that he's actually 
guilty, but the jury makes a decision to release him. So, um, so if you make the comparison, so the, the, a person is innocent is basically the null hypothesis that they didn't do anything. There's no effect, there's no, you know, they're innocent. Um, whereas uh, a person is guilty is our sort of our alternative hypothesis, is that we go in and we say, you might think this person is innocent, but I, I, have, uh, I have reason to believe that they're guilty. And so I'm going to propose an alternative scenario that shows that they're actually guilty. And, and the burden is on me to provide evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt. Not that he's innocent, but that he's guilty. So I need to sort of prove um, my alternative hypothesis. Um, and so the shadow of a doubt is sort of the significance level. So in, in a court case, the significance level is, uh, the threshold is, is um, you know, it's a very high threshold that you need to meet to, to sort of go to a place where you would um, reject the null hypothesis, which, which says that they're innocent, and determine that they're guilty. So convicting an innocent person, which is basically rejecting the null hypothesis when it's actually true, is the type 1 error. And then uh, releasing a guilty person is a type 2 error, which is the same as um, rejecting a null hypothesis when it's actually true. Let's see. No, no. Sorry. That just didn't help. It's um, not rejecting it, the null hypothesis. Um, oh, goodness. See, even I get flipped around. <laughs> um, that when the, the, the person, the alternative hypothesis is actually true, but you don't you fail to um, not reject the null hypothesis. Um, so then in, let's see, okay. So similarly, when there is not enough evidence to convict the defendant, um, i.e. accept the null hypothesis, the defendant is not declared innocent, it's just declared just not guilty. So, so you know, you, so that's going back to the same thing, that you never really say, the null hypothesis is true, because that's really not what you were measuring. You were, you were setting up an alternative hypothesis. And so just like in the legal system, you know, they never declare a person, you know, say they do with Zimmerman, they're not going to say Zimmerman is innocent. You know, they're just, just going to say he's not guilty. So that's sort of how, um, hopefully, maybe this will, <laughs> I'm trying to take three or four different ways of looking at does that help? So, um, but you can kind of go back through these slides to sort of, again, to walk through the logic of it. Uh, continuing on with errors. Uh, so usually we have no way of knowing whether an error has been made um, unless we or another researcher conduct another study. So um, again, it's, it's mainly because we don't know um, what you know, ultimately, we don't know if the null hypothesis is true or false. Like, in the same with like a, a legal case of like Trayvon Martin, where you just I, no one will ever know. There is no witnesses, and, the, and we only have the one witness, which is the defendant. And you can't base it's not good evidence to base solely on one one person, who's the defendant. Um, similarly, we have no way of knowing whether 
our confidence interval actually contains the true population parameter. So, um, like uh, when we did the, the Gallup poll, remember how we said um, uh, uh, the proportion of people who approve of Obama's uh, job as president was 0.49, and then we said a margin of error of plus or minus uh, 0.3 percentage points. So again, that was sort of saying that we have this distribution and we're 95% we're confident that the population parameter fits in here, but there's a chance that the actual population parameter fits outside of that. So that, you know, but you never know. But you're 95% confident that it does fit within that range. So uh, with a 95% confidence interval, 5% um, of the time, our confidence interval will not contain the true population parameter. So maybe, maybe this is sort of the, the backside of statistics. Statistics sort of make everything look like, wow, like we have proof. Look, we can prove that X, Y, and Z, uh, when in actuality we just have evidence. And, and we, the strength of our evidence is based on our p-value. And, and so um, here, here's maybe an interesting way to look at it. If uh, if our observed sample statistic, and I don't know if you guys can see it, is, is, is way out here. So our observed sample statistic is, is way out. Um, what is the, the p-value for an observed sample statistic that's way out here? Yeah, so it's, it's like 0. 0.00001. So if, if you have a p-value of that, that's basically saying that the 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 chance the the probability of this happening this outcome happening by chance if the null hypothesis was true is so low that you can say with a very very high degree of confidence that we have a lot of evidence suggesting that there's a relationship that there's an effect going on um, but if you're if your p-value is, is like 0 0.05, you're like, yes, we have enough evidence to reject the null hypothesis, but I'm not going to go risk my life on this. Um, whereas if, if my p-value is way out here, it's like, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I mean, because the chance of making a type 1 error is um, uh, 1 ten-thousandth or whatever. So I don't think, I may, I don't think this is um, an erroneous finding that I'm, that I'm seeing. Um, so, and then going on to significance level, um, and I think I kind of already addressed this, why would you use a smaller significance level, like 0 0.01, and it's basically sort of, it depends on what, you're, what claim you're making, and, and so again, like in, in certain fields, um, or even like in the auto industry, they want to know how many, um, the proportion of parts that have flawed components in it, and so they you know, they're not going to sample every car that they manufacture to see if, um, if it has a flaw in it. They sample a thousand of the cars they produce to see if there's any problems with it. Um, but I bet you their p-value, I mean their significance level, is, is really, really low because they don't want to sort of, by random chance, um, falsely reject the null hypothesis, like that there is actually a flaw in one of the components. So 
So like in the auto industry, they're going to have a very, um, the significance level is going to be very, very low because they want to ensure that they're not making a mistake. Um, whereas, like I said, in, in social sciences, um, the threshold would be like, is typically 0 0.05. Um, so, you know, you lower it to make the test more more stringent. Um, making making alpha smaller reduces the likelihood of rejecting the null hypothesis when it's actually true, and the alternative is not true, so making a type 1 error. Um, so let's see. Significant, okay, so, so um, to kind of bring this back to our, our samples within, within social science is that there's a relationship between statistical significance and sample size. So let's say our, our uh, um, observed sample statistic that we're interested in is the proportion, the proportion of some categorical variable. And, it's, and our observed sample statistic is 0.6. Our null hypothesis says, oh, okay, this would be, I think the example is flipping a coin. So we, we flipped a coin um, 10 times. And, uh, and, and McKay guessed correctly six out of 10 times. And so, um, so our, our, um, our observed sample statistic is 0 0.6. 0 0.6 or 60% of the time she guessed correctly. And we think that she has some special psychic power because we flipped a 10 and she actually guessed more than what, you know, if she didn't have psychic power, um, that uh, the, the P, the proportion would be 0 0.5 because that's, you know, fit, randomly guessing you're going to get it right 0.5 of the time. We think McKay has psychic powers, and so we think her proportion is going to be greater than 0.5. So we're going to test it. And so as we did, we, we flipped the coin 10 times, and McKay uh, got uh, six of them answered correctly. So, uh, and let's see. And it's not, it's not uh, statistically significant. The p-value is 0.39. And if our threshold is 0 0.05, we say we can't reject the null hypothesis. And we say, yeah, I mean, there's a good chance that, um, you know, McKay, without having psychic powers, could have guessed correctly six out of ten times. And we'd all kind of say, yeah, that's right. There's a good chance of doing that. Um, but if we increase the sample size to 1,000, I mean to 100, uh, what you notice is, uh, the distribution becomes more more compressed, and so then the p-value. So this would be 60 out of 100 times she guessed correctly. It's like, oh, she, you know, like what's what's the the probability of that happening by random chance? Well, there's there's sort of a, a greater evidence that she might actually have psychic powers, um, and so the the explanation for that is that. Increasing the sample size decreases the standard deviation of the sampling distribution. So um, when, you, when you increase the sample size, your sample statistics are going to be more towards the, the true, the, the mean value. Because there's going to be, um, it, it reduces the proportion of sample statistics that are as extreme as our observed sample statistic. Um, so if you see like along this x-axis, uh, this goes 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, and all the way up. 
And here, you see that all the, when you have a higher sample, larger sample size, the, the, all of the sample statistics become compressed towards the mean or towards the center. And so then your observed sample statistic, which is still 0.6, is pushed out to the tails of the distribution. So the, the basic thing is that um, if you have a sample that's really large, it's, it's more easier to obtain significant results. Um, and we can, we can go over that more. But um, the, the implication, or here, here's an example. Um, and I guess this is sort of um, how, you, how you account for type 2 errors, is that as the sample size decreases, so if, if you only flip the coin like four times, um, the chance of making a type 2 error of failing to reject the null, hypo reject the null hypothesis where it is false, um, Oh, I didn't put this in. Um, okay, so it, does it decrease or increase that? Of failing to, so the null hypothesis would be that uh, McKay does not have any psychic powers. Um, and so if we, if we decrease the sample size really low, it becomes harder to get significant results. Like, so say actually that McKay did have psychic powers, but because we only did a sample of 10 coin toss, we can't differentiate that between having real psychic powers and just random chance. Like, Tim, who doesn't have psychic powers, could have guessed six correctly. Um, so you want to, that's sort of trying to emphasize the point of, you want to have a large sample size versus like taking a really small sample and trying to make conclusions based on that. Brittany? I was just going to ask you this question. So as it gets, as it increases, your chance of making a type Yes, yeah. So. Is the other way? Is your chance of making a type They're kind of different, differently related because this is based on sample size, yeah. and type 1 is based on okay. the significance level okay. that you pick. Um, so failing to get a significant result, um, okay, so this goes back to the, the analogy to law. So just because you don't get a significant result um, doesn't mean that the null hypothesis is true. Um, it just means that we can't reject it. Just sort of like the not, it's not guilty, you know, versus saying the person is innocent. Um, and this is particularly true for, for small sample sizes. Uh, Unless the true population parameter is very far from the null value, it's hard to find significant results if the sample size is small. Um, and mainly, be, I mean, I, I guess for me, the, the coin toss thing just kind of makes sense. Like, if, if, you know, my alternative hypothesis is that McKay has psychic powers, but I only take four samples, like I flip the coin four times, I'm not going to convince any of you that she has psychic powers. Even if she guessed all four correctly, it, it wouldn't, there's not enough evidence. So you'd say, no, 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 no. If you want to prove this to me, I want you to flip it a thousand times. And I want to see that her outcome of successful guesses is significantly, um, is, is significantly different than if she had no psychic powers. So, so that's just sort of, again, the, reinforcing the argument that you need a large enough sample size um, to, get, to get significant results. 
Um, so with small sample sizes, type 2 errors are very likely. Because I would we'd do it four times, and um, we would say that the results aren't significant. You'd say McKay doesn't have psychic powers. And I'd be like, no, 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 she really does. And so then the only way I could sort of overcome that is by increasing the number of trials we did. So this sort of brings us to, um, when we use the word significance it, in, in, in social science and in, in science, it has a very specific meaning. Um, so there's, there's a difference between statistical significance and practical significance. So just because something is statistically significant, it might not be um, practically significant. And so, um, so with small sample sizes, even large differences or effects may not be statistically significant. Um, and on the flip side, with large sample sizes, even small differences or effects can be statistically significant. Um, and so a statistically significant result is not always practically significant, especially with large sample sizes. So an example um, would be, so there's this weight loss program that recruited 10,000 people uh, for a randomized experiment. So 10,000, huge sample size. Um, and then they, they ran the study and they said a difference in average weight loss um, of 0.5 pounds was found to be statistically significant. So they took the proportion of people, or the, the mean weight of the people in the, the treatment group and compared it with the mean weight of the people in the, the non-treatment group and they found that the mean diff the difference in mean values was 0.5 pounds. And so that was their observed sample statistic. And when they did the randomization distribution, um, 0.5 pounds was right here. And it was statistically significant. But then, so, and it's true. It, the difference was statistically significant, but it was only 0.5 pounds. So, you know, an advertisement could say, it, we have strong evidence that this weight loss program works. I mean, there's a statistically significant difference in the people who are part of this program and the people who weren't. But you want to read the fine print to sort of see, well, what was the difference in mean values? And you'd read it and you'd say, the, the significant difference was 0.5 pounds. And say, well, that's not going to be worth the hundreds of dollars that I'd spend on this. Um, so you'd ask, is a loss of a half a pound practically significant? So sort of knowing what, when you say significant, what you're saying statistically significant, not necessarily practically significant. And then uh, moving on to significance and causation. Um, so the p-value alone tells you whether there's a significant association between two variables, but not whether this is a causal association. So even if you know you, you have a p-value of 0.00001 of um, that uh, two variables are relate are correlated with each other, it doesn't necessarily mean that one variable is causing um, another, causing the outcome of another another variable. So uh, that's all. What I'm gonna um, email to you guys is uh, sort of a, a review lecture that we're going to do tomorrow. But the way I want to set it up is uh, you'll get the slides like I've been given to you before. And each slide will have a slide number on it. And so sort of in preparation for, for class tomorrow, 
read through those slides, and it basically takes everything that we've covered up to this point and sort of brings out the most important slides. And sort of check the ones that you're like, ooh, I don't get this stuff, or like, oh yeah, we talked about Z-score, and I, I never really understood that. So that when we come in tomorrow, you can say, Brad, um, you know, can, you, can we go to slide 25? And so we'll all know what, what slide you're talking about, and I'll pull that up and we'll walk through it. So, yeah. For the note cards, or, I mean, for the writing, for the exam, yeah. is it both-sided or is it one-sided? Double-sided. No, you can type it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so really, I don't have anything set up for tomorrow except for I'm going to send you these slides and you guys will give me the feedback of like, hey, I need clarity on this or, or whatever. But.